morning. Uh, today we're reading from Luke 7, 36 to 49. So Luke 7, 36 to 49. Now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is. This, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, Her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Thank you, Darlene. Good morning. Anyone can hear me? Well, when... uh... When we were putting a schedule together for this little speaking series, I think I'll put this down here, actually. Um, I think I'd said to Bill I wanted to speak last week because um, it sounded pretty good. It sounded, you know, uh, the communion of saints. That's a good topic. It's like, you know, it's, it's a, a nice topic, talking about community and getting together and being cozy and friendly. That's good stuff. That's an easy one. I want that. Bill messed it up. Bill, Bill got me on the wrong week, and I, the, the schedule came out, and I had forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness of sins, that's, that's not friendly and fun and nice and community-based. That's, that's icky. That can be messy. Oh, man, I don't want that stuff. But I thought about it. I thought, well, maybe it happened for a reason. Who knows? Maybe uh, Dale's going to do a way better job than I would have on community stuff. So, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll take this and... We'll see what we can do with it. And as I thought about it, I thought, you know, actually, this is some good stuff, too. This is some, you know, maybe God's trying to talk to me. So, so I went with it. So here we are. We'll see, see where it goes. Um, as, we, as we see, we've been going through the, uh, well, backwards. We've been going through the Apostles' Creed, as we know. And the Apostles' Creed, there it is. Um, been some great sermons, great, great teaching over the past weeks about that. Um, and I've got, is there a laser on this? No, anyway. So I'm talking about this almost near the end there, the forgiveness of sins. Four words, the forgiveness of sins. Pretty, you know, not a lot really there when it comes to verbiage, words. Four words, one's a conjunction, one's a the. 
so, you know, Dwayne said to me that he looked like it was kind of like, like a racehorse when we were doing the, uh, the, the, the worship time. And I thought, well, if I go through this like a racehorse, we'll, racehorse, we'll all be home early for dinner. But um, uh, if I can slow down and, uh, and, and, and tackle it like I'm supposed to, hopefully we'll, we'll be here in regular time. But um, there's a lot of meaty stuff in those two words. And, and really, I'm throwing out, not throwing out. We're, I'm, I'm going to go through real quick one of those words. Um, so let's get, get going. And, and basically, well, the, the Apostles' Creed is a foundational kind of statement. It's, 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 it's really great foundational stuff that we've been learning. It kind of sets, you know, what we're all about, who we are as Christians, what we believe in. And, and you know, this, this, this phrase is no different. Um, and so we've got this story. I picked this story that Darlene read, and we'll get into that a little bit as we go as well, to sort of highlight the, the, the parts of this that I want to bring out and, and, and really and, you know, dig into, because um, I need more than two words. So we're, we're going to look at that story a little bit. Um, but uh, so one of those big words, obviously, you know, forgiveness of sins is sin. So we're going to talk a little bit about sin, but this is the one I'm kind of throwing out because that's the messy one. Um, and really, the Apostle Creed is saying, what's it saying? It's saying that we believe in the forgiveness of sin. So there's, we could talk, we could have lots of sermons about what sin is. We could talk a lot, all day about what sin is, what constitutes sin. Um, I just want to touch on it briefly because really, you know, I think most of us are aware of what sin is. Um, this, this little sign is, is the seven, you know, deadly sins or the cardinal sins. Um, I'm not really a fan of, of sort of rating sin because sin is sin. And really, at the end of the day, what sin, sin is, is, is our behavior, uh, the, the behaviors that we, we do that, that separate us from God, the things, the things that we do that separate us from one another, our behaviors that are, are bad behaviors, that are selfish, that can, you know, drive wedges between people. You know, there's, again, the, the important part of this for me isn't, what sin is. We know what sin is. The, the Holy Spirit itself convicts us of sin. We know when we've done wrong. We know when we sin. But the really important thing I really want to focus on more today is, is, is the next part, oh, is, is this, there's, there's the, the forgiveness part. Because that's, that's the part we want to know about. Um, so we know, you know, we, here's the scripture, you know, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So that's a great promise from Scripture uh, for us about forgiveness. You know, God, while we were still sinners, died for us and forgave our sins. And if we go back to the story, I've got to get the backwards working here. We go back to the story, we read this story, and this, you know, this, this is an interesting story about how, you know, Jesus was, was going about his business. He's, he's, he's preaching, he's walking around, he's meeting people, and he gets invited to the house of a Pharisee. Now, the Pharisees were the religious um, people of the day, they were known to be a little bit self-righteous perhaps, they were a little bit arrogant sometimes, they thought they were better than other people, um, much like, you know, we won't say that, but anyway, so, in the areas of the Pharisees' house, they're probably they're educated people, they're having discussion about, you know, right, wrong, this and that, what's sin, who knows, and uh, in walks this woman, who is obviously known to the people, because they know that she's a sinner, and she was probably, she could, you know, she could have been a, a woman of ill repute. She could have been a, a prostitute. Jesus was known to hang out with prostitutes. So it was a bit scandalous. She walks into this place, this, this, this you know, meeting. And it's, it's, it's kind of strange. She just kind of walks in. Like, you know, it's somebody's home, private home. And she just, 
I'm going in. Now, Jesus is there. I'm, I'm in. I'm going. And she goes and she, she creates quite a scene when you read this. She, she's, she's kind of, you know, she's crying over him. She's, she's putting this very expensive ointment on him. She's washing his feet. She's, she, you know, uh, she's not doing this uh, discreetly. She's going to be standing out in, the, in a crowd. And it obviously gets some attention. It creates a scene. And when, when you know, they, uh, they were talking amongst themselves about it, it sounds like they don't really say to Jesus, but they're kind of talking like, whoa, you know, who is this guy? Like, you know, surely he, if he is a prophet, he would know what kind of, what, like, you know, what sort of woman, how could he let this sort of woman touch him? How can he let this sinner come and touch him? And Jesus, of course, knows our thoughts. He knows what's going on. Maybe he hears the hushed tones, and he, he, he confronts it. And he says, well, he tells this parable about, you know, the, the rich man forgiving the, debtor, the two, two debtors, and which one would he, he forgive more? And, it's, you know, I love this story because, it, you know, he, he kind of puts it back at them. And, and it, it doesn't really say in here, like, it, you know, it talks here about um, the woman came in, and Jesus says she loved so much, so she was forgiven much, and she had lots to be forgiven for. It doesn't really state, was she, was she being forgiven because she loved Jesus? I don't, I don't think it's saying that, but it's saying that she, because she had so much to be forgiven for, she was overwhelmed with love when she was forgiven. And that's, that's what we're seeing here. She's, she was a forgiven woman who understood that somehow through the Holy Spirit, through, through um, that dynamic. She understood who Jesus was, and she understood what he was offering to her. And she was overwhelmed. Just like that song we sang. Like, I didn't pick that song. It was amazing. I'm, I'm sitting listening to that, that chorus. And I thought, what a great song for this topic. Because it talks about that overwhelming love of God. And she was overwhelmed by love for God because she was forgiven. And that's the kind of forgiveness that the Apostles' Creed is talking about. That God's overwhelming love for us. And when does he love us? When we earn it? Or when we do something for us, or we, we prove our worth? No, like that's, that's what the Pharisees might believe, but it's not the case. While we were still in our sins, Christ died for us. God died for us, Jesus died for us because he loved us, because of his overwhelming love, not because of us, not because of who we are, not because of what we do, not because of what she did. God loves us overwhelmingly because God loves us. It's who he is. And that's an amazing statement of truth. It's, and and it's, it's amazing that it's in the Apostles' Creed because it's such a foundational truth that we want to hold on to. And that's what we, we need to understand, that God's love for us is overwhelming. And he's going to pursue us. And just as that song, he's going to pursue us. The ground is going to shake. The earth is going to shake. He's going to kick down the walls. God is going to get us. He loves us. He's not going to let anything stand in the way. That's what the Apostles' Creed is saying about forgiveness. He's saying, I love you. I love you, so I'm going to do anything to get to you. I love you. And that's, it's an amazing thing when you think about that. Uh, and here's, here's, you know, here's another scripture that just backs that up. This is love. Not that we love God. Not that we love God. We didn't, we didn't love God first. The, the woman didn't love God first and come to Jesus. He loved her first. And he sent his son to die for us because he loved us. It's, you know, when we sit back and just pause and think about that simple, simple phrase and that, uh, that creed, but what's it saying? So it's like, I love you so much. I'm not going to let anything stand in the way. And that's, that's an amazing thing when you think about it. And it's like, okay, 
We could be over here. We could, we could end this right now. We say, oh, great. This is great. You know, because what's he saying? God's saying, you're okay. Doesn't matter what you've done. Doesn't matter, like, what, what kind of sinner was this woman? She was a pretty renowned sinner. The, 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 she was well-known in the community, and these Pharisees thought, ick, she's, she's pretty low. So her sin was pretty grave sin, if you want to. But again, I don't like the stack of sins because sin is sin. But she's, she was, you know, a, a pretty vile sinner, I'm guessing. And didn't matter to God. And she was forgiven because God loved her. Um, so that's, you know, oh, oh there, anyway, there's, I was, this is a slide I was going to take out. Sorry. But there, there's, there's, as I was talking to Bill, there's hundreds of, of scriptures talking about forgiveness. And I had to pick a couple, but, you know, I just, uh, you know, Matthew uh, 6, 14 to 15, if you forgive, you know, we've, we've seen that. Hebrews 8, 12 um, talks about, you know, forgiveness of sins, Colossians, you know, on and on and on. There's, there's hundreds and hundreds of scriptures that talk about forgiveness. And I don't want to belabor that point. I don't want to go on about that because I think we get the picture. Um, but at the end of the day, the message of that is you're enough. I'm enough. Every one of us is enough. Um, and, and one other one I will highlight, you know, 1 John 2, 2, 1 to 2 says, my children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. So he's, you know, descriptive. They don't want us to sin. God doesn't want us to sin. We don't, we don't want to sin. And if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He himself is a propitiation for our sins, and this is the point I want to highlight here. And not for our only, but also for the whole world. So again, it's, again there's, that, there's that scripture. There's many other scriptures. God makes it very clear. God, Jesus died for every one of us. Everyone in the whole world, in all of history. That's who, that's who Jesus died for. He died for all of us. So this is huge stuff. We, and, and the Apostles' Creed is saying, we believe in the forgiveness of sin. That's what we believe in, that Jesus died for sin. Done. Which means you are enough. Every one of you, every one of us, we're enough. We don't have to do anything else. You know, you are so enough, it's unbelievable how enough you are. Like, you know, I just, we are okay. So that's an amazingly freeing thing to understand when we really grasp it. It's like, you know what? It doesn't mean we can go sin. It means, like, like this woman, we can be in turn overwhelmed by that love. And that's what can transform us. So, but again, and it's never that simple. Because then we go on and there's these other scriptures. If you look at other scriptures, so I, I come across this one. It says, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly father will forgive you. Great. We're enough. But then it says this, and I hate but. Laura, Laura put something on Facebook this week saying how she doesn't like the word but. I hate the word but because it says, whenever you see but, it says, forget what I just said. Ignore that. Because I don't want to ignore what came ahead of that because that's the good part. And it says, but if you for, refuse to forgive others, your father will not forgive your sins. I thought, ah, what the? What, God, you're changing the rules midstream here. What's going on? I just, you told me we're forgiven. We're all okay. It's not because of what I do. And now I got a but. And the but says that I got to forgive others or you can't forgive, you're not going to forgive me. I thought, what? 
You changing the rules? You going back in your word? And he's not. God's not going back in his word. He's not saying that. There's more to it than that. So I'm thinking, okay, what's in there? What's he saying? And I love it when uh, I love it when science and religion mesh when they do that. Because really, you know, a lot of people would think that science and for for many hundreds of years, people thought science and religion were opposed because they talked about oppositional things. And that's not true. It's absolutely not true. Science and religion both talk about different facets and different faces of the same truth. Truth is truth. Truth is unified. Truth isn't, you know, physical truth and spiritual truth. Truth is unified. There is only one truth. So I love it when science does stuff that says, hey, the Bible had it right all along. Because one of the reasons God says, forgive one another, because I need to forgive you, first of all. But he's not saying, hey, I'm, I'm, he's, God is not this rule keeper. They say, hey, if you're not going to forgive me or people, I'm not going to forgive you. That's not really what it's all about. God's bigger than that. So, you know, in the bun- last, last bunch of years, there's been a lot of science that studied forgiveness. And we found, and they found, not me, I'm no scientist, but I can read this stuff. And forgiveness, when we forgive, forgiving people are healthier. Forgiveness is very, very healthy for us. It has huge impact on our physical health and mental health. It can lower blood pressure. It gives you a stronger immune system, improved heart. I've got actually a bunch more here. Let me just go through these here. Uh, my notes are not in order. So here we go. No, here we go. When we practice forgiveness... The results physically and mentally are sizable and immediate. They give us a mental health boost. An eight-hour forgiveness workshop can reduce anxiety as much as several months of intensive therapy. So forgiveness is amazing stuff. Um, physical benefits of forgiving people. Forgiving people, you, and this, this is all science, scientific studies. I've, I've kind of condensed a bunch, but scientific studies that, that tell me this, tell us this. Forgiving people, on average, generally, use less medication than people who are unforgiving. Forgiving people sleep better. Makes sense. You know, if you're, if you're holding grudges, you're not forgiving, you're, you're not going to sleep so well. Um, if you're, if you're forgive, if a forgiving type of person, you're going to probably uh, get better sleep. You're going to be tired less. You're going to have lower blood pressure, as we see. Um, the Mayo Clinic. Oh, where we go? Mayo Clinic. Uh, talks about all this, again here a bunch of bunch of health benefits. Um, there was also was a, a really interesting study that that looked at people. They took a bunch of people and they put in two groups and they got one one set of people to say, okay, you guys are going to think of a time when someone hurt you and you still never really gotten over it. So think about that, dwell on that, and then we're going to put some tests together. And, and this group here, we want you guys to think about. Um, a time when you got hurt, but that you forgave the person, you got over it. Think about that and how that worked out and whatnot. So then they, they, they put them through some tests and whatnot, physical tests and different things, and they found that the, the people who were not forgiving, who were dwelling on and thinking about the times when they couldn't forgive and thinking about the grudges, the things that they had still been holding, when they, they put them through tests and they said, okay, we want you to jump. Wow. And... Um, 
On average, the group that were unforgiving were um, jumped seven, uh, on average seven centimeters, not as high. So, carrying grudges and being unforgiving is literally carrying a heavy burden. It weighs you down. You can't jump as high. And they, they did other tests as well and, and whatnot, um, and, and, and psychological tests as well. And their psychological outlooks to the same kind of questions were also more negative and weighed down. So, unforgiving, even if it's just for a moment, because if you've been spending some time dwelling on something, it weighs you physically down. So it, it, it's pretty amazing that, you know, the, the forgiveness has that kind of effect. Um, holding grudges raises levels of a hormone called cortisol. And what does cortisol do? Anybody know? Who's any medical people in here? Cortisol reduces your brain size, actually shrinks your brain. That's not a good thing. Um, it affects your sex drive. That's not a good thing most, for most of us, I think. Maybe, I don't know, I'll, I'll leave that alone. Um, it also, it, it interferes with your digestive ability. So, if you've ever experienced a time when you've been um, holding a grudge or you've been, something, you've been feeling weighed down because you're, you're bitter or you're angry, uh, you may find that you, you, you have an upset stomach. You don't digest as well. You're not as hungry. You have, have more, more of a difficulty with your digestion. That's a hormonal thing because of cortisol in your body. So, all of these things um, literally weigh you down. And, and, and it's amazing to me that, you know, the scriptures were written thousands of years ago without scientific tests, but they knew this stuff. So it's in there. It's not just in there from a spiritual point of view, forgive one another because if you don't, God's going to get you. It's in there because it's good for us. And we find, if you look at the reason for a lot of the laws and the regulations in the Old Testament and scriptures, a lot of those things, when, the, when you look at them, even eating pork and stuff like that in the old days, they were for health benefits. People didn't have the science to understand why certain things were good for them then, but they were good for them because God always knew. And so it, it, I love it when scripture meshes like that. In, in some kind of small way. But it's not an accident. It's not a coincidence. It's not a happy coincidence. Because God is saying forgiveness. He's commanding us or instructing us to forgive. Not just simply as a command, do this or else. He's doing this. Do this. It works. Good for you. I want you to be happy. I want you to be healthy. You want to be happy and healthy? Practice forgiveness. It's good for you. So that's amazing. Again, you know, just what can forgiveness do? It can do all of these things. It's an amazing, amazing thing. If you do a research, if you if you do um, uh, a web search on the power of forgiveness, you're going to find all sorts of amazing stuff. Um, if you go the other way and you don't want to forgive, you get you get this. You know this kind of attitude. Resentment is like drinking poison and think it's going to kill your enemies. Resentment, holding a grudge, hurts who? Does it hurt the people that you're angry at? It doesn't. It hurts you. The only person that you're getting hurt through, you know, holding a grudge is yourself. So, Scripture is amazing in that if you, if you weren't even a believer in a sense, if you didn't even believe this stuff, be, it would make sense to live according to the principles of Scripture because it would be healthier. It's good for us to live according to these things. And that's, that's amazing. And I don't say that to say don't believe. I say that that just to me, is more testimony of what an amazing God that we have. 
He gets us. He knows how we work. Of course he knows how we work. He made us. Why wouldn't he? This stuff works. And if you don't like that kind of stuff, if you, you, know, if you don't want to forgive just because, you know, if you want to hold on a little bit of vengeance, then, yeah, I guess this works. Always forgive your enemies because nothing annoys them so much. And it's true, and it's kind of scriptural too because there is a scripture that says, you know, if you really want to annoy your enemies, you know, treat them well. Love them. It's like keeping burning coals on their head. I don't know what scripture. But there's, a, there's a scripture. You know, Bill knows it. You know, he, it, treating your enemies well annoys them. And it's like keeping burning holes on it. So if you still have that, you know, if you're still, you know, like me, partway along the, the road of, of forgiveness and you're not all the way there uh, and you still want to have some vengeance sometimes, then you can practice a little bit of this. Anyway, let's get back to the story. So forgiveness is, is, is definitely, it's, it's there for so many reasons. Like, you know, it's an amazing thing. Just the idea alone that we're forgiven and that we're okay. That should just completely liberate us. But then it's also that it's good for us uh, is amazing. So, so let's look a little bit at something else in the story. Because the, the main reason I chose this passage as opposed to a lot of other ones about forgiveness is I love what it says here at the end. Where, again, the, the whole picture of this woman coming in and just loving on Jesus. Just being overwhelmed with love for him. And what does Jesus say? He basically says that to the, the Pharisee when he try, tries to question it. He says, she loved so much because she had so much to be forgiven. And the, the point I want to bring out of this is that, you know, loving and forgiveness, they are... Again, like, like science and religion, most of the time, they're like this. Love and forgiveness are inextricably, inextricably intertwined. You cannot have love without forgiveness. You cannot forgive without love. They are two peas in a pod. And that's, I think that's the other thing that Jesus is trying to say here. He's, like, he's trying to point us to that thing that, you know, um, there is no love without forgiveness. And there is no forgiveness without love. And the power of forgiveness really starts to take off when you understand this. And when we can live this way and, and practice this, that's when, when it's really going to take off. And when I was doing um, the research for this and reading up about this, there's so many amazing stories. And even in our own lives, there's so many amazing stories of the power of forgiveness and how forgiveness can turn people's lives around, can turn people's um, situations around. And it's, it's not easy to practice necessarily, but I, I want to highlight a couple. Um, there's this one, I don't have a fl- slide for this guy, but um, he, if, if you ever want to look him up, I don't know if anyone's heard of him. His name is Sammy Rangel. And I, 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 ca- I thought about putting some of the clips, but his story is so raw and, and, and hard to listen to. It's not, it, it, I didn't want to really put it on in church on Sunday, but this is a guy, I'll give you a quick synopsis of who this guy was. He was, um, at three years old, he was raped by his uncle. Um, his uncle raped his sister, and then right after that, he raped him. And he lived with his mom and his uncle, and when they told his mom, she didn't even try to help. And she basically gave him he got in trouble for trying to say these things. And at three years old, he suffered that. And 
then his, his whole life, uh, his mom beat him and abused him. Just, and I, 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 you know, I don't even want to touch on how, it, like one of the worst, most horrific stories of, of abuse that I've ever heard and read. And he, he gives this TED Talk, and I, I do recommend if you're interested to, re, to, to go and look at that. But he talks about the power of forgiveness. So this guy, at 11 years old, um, his life was so horrific. Um, he actually went, uh, when his mom was sleeping, and got a knife and stood over her and wanted to kill her. But he said he couldn't kill her for two reasons. One, he was afraid. 11-year-old boy, through this awful trauma his whole life, his life was a living hell, and he was just terrified, and he couldn't, didn't want, he couldn't do it. And he said, and the other reason was, and this was hard to imagine, but at the same time, I get it sort of, I, I can't even put myself in his shoes because it's, it's so far from my experience. But he said, you know, I still love my mom. His mom, who didn't protect him, and far from protecting him, he's the one who got in trouble. When we make him walk around in his underwear and not let him use the washroom, and if he wet himself, he'd put his underwear in his mouth and stuff his mouth with his underwear and hold his mouth shut. It's like, how can a mother do that? And what a betrayal of that relationship and what damage she's doing to this young man. And no, no, no coincidence, this young man at 11, he, he couldn't kill his mom, but he still loved her. So the only alternative for him was to run away. So he ran away at 11. And um, uh, many of the people, young people on the street, are, are coming from that kind of a background. So he, he, he was on the streets at 11. He tells of how by the time he was just not even 12, he had his 11-year-old girlfriend pregnant, and they lost that child. And he had to look at that baby on the, on the table, just again, and he said, and he was alone in this room with no adult, no one around to try to deconstruct this for him or explain this to him, or, you know, and he, he, again, just went back to the street, suffering this kind of trauma that he was through, and he said he, he wasn't, he hadn't been violent, but he got more and more violent, so he was on the streets and he became violent because, um, because out of, out of self-preservation. But then he went in and out of the prison system, and he got more and more hardened, and he became a, like a, you know, a hardened-type, killer-type person. And he became a head of a gang, and he was a, a real hardened street gang youth person who had no, no uh, regard for anyone's life and would have no hesitation killing. Um, and... Today, he is a, he's a counselor who works with um, ex-inmates and whatnot, and he does all sorts of... Uh, he's, he's a co-founder of an organization um, that's for ex, ex, ex-inmates to help counsel them. But basically, what saved him was forgiveness. He, he had to go, um, as part of his prison uh, you know, tenure, one of the tenures, he had to go to counseling, and he, he thought, yeah, I'm going to go to this. I'll go through with this. But at some point, a counselor put him in a seat, put an empty seat in front of him and said, you need to, I want you to talk to your mom. And he said, I, I don't want to talk to my mom. I got nothing to say to my mom. I hate my mom. So I want you to, you know, what would she say to you if she was here? And he thought, okay. So he, he went through that and he said, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm racking my brain. I can't think of anything he might say to me. I forgive you. I don't, I, I'm sorry. I don't know. So then the counselor put him in her seat. I want you to sit in her seat. And he's like, uh, no, no. I, I have no desire to try to be empathetic. It's not, you, need, I, you need to sit in her seat. 
and try to see it through her eyes. And he sat in her seat. And again, he's like, what would she say to me? I don't know what she would say. I couldn't think of what. I can't imagine my mom, how she could do these things. Why would you do these things? And all he could think of is, you know, I'm sorry, he says, she being her. And then he put him back in his seat. And he said, this was the turning point for him. When the counselor said to him, now, Sammy, do you think you've ever hurt anyone the way your mom hurt you? And he was, when that thought came to him, and he had, and it was like for the first time in his life, he felt empathy and he felt horror at what he had done. And from that point in his life, and it wasn't, it wasn't, wasn't overnight, but from that point in his life, he decided he was going to forgive Forgive his mom, forgive his uncle, and go and seek forgiveness from the people that he hurt. It's an amazing story, uh, and, and there's, I'm sure there's thousands of stories, but it's an amazing story of the power of forgiveness. That it changed his life. This kind of forgiveness, this kind of love, changed his life. And now he's, he's out there changing other people's lives and touching other people's lives. And it's an and. and you know, we could all tell that, that kind of story over and over again. Another one of my heroes, uh, Maya Angelou, she says, it's the, one of the greatest gifts you can give yourself is to forgive. That's the other part of it. We need to forgive ourselves. Um, people talk about, you know, I, I can't, you know, you can't love anyone until you love yourself. And, you know, I hear that kind of stuff. I don't know if that's true or not. Um, I think that sometimes you need to learn to love yourself before you can love others. Sometimes it's Love someone else loving you that helps you to learn to love yourself. I think the order these things come in is is different for everyone. But it's absolutely true that we need to love ourselves and we need to forgive ourselves. That forgiveness that God is instructing us to do is not just for forgive others. So when we, you know that you know forgiveness of sins in the Apostles' Creed, yeah, we need to forgive. You know what's it mean? Forgiveness of sins. It means our sins are forgiven, but it also means we need to forgive. Who do we need to forgive? So it's it's not just a matter of forgiveness of sins. Who's being forgiven? Who's doing the forgiving? God's forgiving us, we're forgiving others, we're forgiving ourselves. It's, it's a whole you know, circular thing. The forgiveness has to go both ways. And I love this because, you know, simply forgive everybody. Don't pick and choose. We need to forgive everybody. And when you think about, when, I'm, when I was going through this, again, I'm trying to think of the most um, obvious and powerful examples of for, this kind of forgiveness is Nelson Mandela. And this is a quote from him when, as he walked out the door, everyone, uh, you know, most of us are familiar with Nelson Mandela, who was uh, you know, in that South Africa during the days of apartheid. As a young lawyer, he, he started, you know, joined the anti-apartheid forces and was imprisoned. He's imprisoned for 27 years, 27 years of his life, not just imprisoned, but tortured and beaten and humiliated for 27 years by the um, South African regime. If anyone had a, uh, a reason or an excuse to hold bitterness, to hold anger, or to want to seek revenge, he did. And when he came out of prison, as I walked out of the door, and this is a famous quote, I'm sure many of you have seen this before. As I walked out the door toward my freedom, I knew that if I did not leave all the anger, hatred, and bitterness behind, that I would still be in prison. So he, you know, we know his story. We probably don't know all the details, but the truth is, had he not listened to that inner voice, 
which again, in my view, is the Holy Spirit talking to him and helping him to get to this place. Because again, we don't, when you have extreme situations, we need God to help us supernaturally to be able to forgive. Sammy Rangel, I don't think, could possibly forgive an uncle who raped him without the Holy Spirit. Nelson Mandela, I can't believe, could you know, forgive without the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a part of this. God steps in and helps us. to. He tells us, forgive, but he doesn't leave us to our, to our own devices. He steps in to help us do that. And Nelson Mandela, I'm convinced, he saved probably hundreds of thousands and maybe millions of lives simply because of this attitude. Think about other countries in the world. Think of Rwanda and the genocide that happened in Rwanda when, when two sides hated each other. Nelson Mandela came out of jail and he, he had authority. He had authority because he was, a, he was revered by people. And he had authority. If he had wanted to turn that power around and seek revenge, there would have been a bloodbath in South Africa back in those days. It would have been a bloodbath. And hundreds of thousands of people would have died. Possibly millions. Nelson Mandela, because of practicing forgiveness and love, saved hundreds of thousands or millions of lives without a doubt. Powerful, powerful stuff. Transformational stuff. That's what the Apostle Creed is talking about when it says forgiveness of sins. And when God tells us to forgive one another, he's saying, this is the power I'm giving you to change the world. And we see evidence of that in pockets. We see big examples of that. But every day we see small examples of it too. Yesterday, um, when I was in the house, Caitlin was, um, Caitlin, my daughter, she's um, uh, pregnant and she was going to be here, but I guess she didn't make it. Um, and she's, she's now, she's left her job. She was doing employment counseling at Young Street Mission um, and uh, she worked with a lot of, of street youth, a lot of damaged people who had been through a lot of stuff. And yesterday um, morning, she's not working now. She's done. She's not. She's she's left. She's on mat leave. She may not be going back, but she's a private person at home on Saturday morning. And one of her the young men that she had worked with called her yesterday and was going through a really tough time. And she was on the phone for about two and a half hours with him, talking him down, telling him that he's loved telling him that he has options, that he was wanting to go hurt somebody. Because he had, you know, he had felt, and I don't know the details, I don't need to do, you know, but he was someone who was a street person at times. He'd been in and out of the street. I don't know where the situation is right now. But he was very angry with someone who he perceived had hurt him. And he wanted to go seek revenge. Caitlin spent two and a half hours on her Saturday morning talking to him, loving him, talking him down, trying to reason with him, trying to get him to understand that there's alternatives. And, you know, obviously she's my daughter. I'm proud of her. I love her. Just one small example. I only bring that up because it was just happened to be yesterday. And we all have opportunities to have, you know, in our own lives. It could be simply, you know, forgiving the person who works at the desk beside you, who eats his lunch too loud every day and just really annoys you. I don't know. It could be that. But we've all got things in our lives, in our relationships. We've all got places and people that we need to forgive. Grudges that we hold need to be brought out because when we do that just like nelson mandela says if we don't do that we're imprisoning ourselves we're, we're we're binding our hands and our feet with chains we're imprisoning ourselves we're not allowing ourselves 
to live the fullness of what God has for us. And forgiveness breaks those chains, frees us from that cage. If forgiveness is what transforms the world, um, we need to learn that, that this is the truth. Now, we've had, as a church, 2,000 years to figure this out. Has this been, this, is this the story of our church? Not our, is this the story of Christianity? Loving forgiveness? It's not. Why not? This is the truth, this stuff. This is the kind of truth that is meant to set us free. Just as the word says, the truth will set you free. Jesus said that, the Bible says it, you know. This is that kind of real truth that is meant to set us free. What are we doing? What's stopping us? Free from fear, free from guilt, free from resentment, free from anxiety, free from anger, free from any and every encumbrance. We should be free to love without hesitation, without expectation of anything coming back, without condition, unconditional love, without judgment. That's what we're meant to be. That's what we're called to. I love, like, I didn't, we didn't coordinate with the worship team, but that song they were singing, and I had to, I had to write a note on my notes while the song was going on. The overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Well, I'd written that right here. We're free to love with reckless abandon. That's what God wants from us. That's what he expects from us. Doesn't he just expect it, but he gives us the tools. He gives us the power to do that. And the power comes in forgiveness and love, hand in hand, because they are intertwined. They don't, you can't separate them. So when we look at the history of the church and we see 2,000 years of the church and we see, oh, there's been good things. There's been good examples. There's, there's, you can certainly rate, I could, I could, again, I could talk about Corey Ten Boom. I could talk, talk you know, we, we could all rhyme off people who have lived this out. And invariably, when you come across someone who's lived it out, it's had a major impact. And lives have been transformed. But in general, we're not doing it. And this is not, I'm not trying to condemn us. I'm, I'm talking to me. We need and we can live our lives with reckless abandon. So rich with love that we fear nothing. That's what we can do. There's one more quote. I, I kind of went crazy with a cut and paste quotes, but you know. Um, I love this guy, Pierre Teilhard de Chardin. I don't know how many people are familiar with him. But um, he's another guy who, t- and, you know, the whole quote about science and, and religion being intertwined comes from him because he was a scientist and he was a Catholic priest and he was an incredible man of God. And he said, someday, after mastering the winds, the waves, the tides, and gravity, we shall harness for God the energies of love. And then... For a second time in the history of the world, man will have discovered fire. I love that quote. Can you think about how, if you can imagine the world before fire, back in prehistoric days when, you know, we were pretty, pretty primitive, what fire did for mankind and how it transformed the world and it led to, you know, everything, you know, 
the Industrial Revolution and, and warmth and houses and being able to have agriculture and live in northern... Fire was probably the most important discovery in the history of the world. Transformed the world in a major way. And he's saying, yeah, we have the power. That same power is available to us. It's been there all along. If we can just harness that power for God, it will be another... It will be, as revolutionary as fire coming to a prehistoric ice age world. That's how transformational it will be. That's what, that's what we need to be looking for. That's the goal that we should be setting for ourselves. Why don't we get there? Why don't we get there? Because we're still holding grudges. I'm still holding grudges. I'm still, I've got unforgiven things in my heart, in my life. That's why it's getting in the way in my relationships. That's why it's getting in the way in your relationships. We need, to, we need to ferret that out. We need to say, you know, and trust God. It comes down to trusting God, taking God at his word. And, and allowing, you know, becoming vulnerable with one another and reaching out and, and caring. And, and that's what it's all about. And we can transform this world. Um, and uh, I used this before when I spoke as a poem. I love poems. And this one's an old poem from the 15 or 1600s. And we're, going to in, we're doing uh, communion today. And this, communion is all, this is exactly what communion is all about too. Because we are connected. And the power of forgiveness comes through the blood of Christ. That's what we're celebrating at the table. And I'm just going to read this poem because this, this, this talking about this. And it talks about what holds us back. Uh, love bade me welcome. Yet my soul drew back. Guilty. Of dust and sin. But quick-eyed love, observing me grow slack, from my first entrance in, drew nearer to me, sweetly questioning if I lacked anything. Ah, a guest, I answered, worthy to be here. Now, what did we say earlier? We are enough. I am enough. I am worthy to be here. A guest worthy to be here. Love said, you shall be he. God says to us, we, you shall be he. You are worthy. You shall be he. I, the unkind, the ungrateful. Oh, my dear, I cannot look on thee. I can't even look on you, God. I'm not, I'm not worthy. I can't look on you. Love took my hand and smiling did reply, reply. Who made the eyes but I? Don't tell me what you, you know, I know you better than know you. you know you. You can look at me. I made your eyes. Truth, Lord, but I have marred them. Let my shame go where it doth deserve. One other thing I want to say, you know, um, forgiveness is not a once, one and done thing. It's ongoing. And that's why we struggle. Our sin is ongoing. Our forgiveness is ongoing. And God, thankfully, in his love and the pursuit of us, is forever ongoing. And he says, you know, Truth, Lord, I've marred them. Let me go where I deserve. I deserve punishment. I deserve hell. He says, no, no. You know not. You don't, you don't know anything. Amateurs, says love. Who bore the blame? Who bore the blame? My dear, then I will serve. Jesus says, I will serve. And we have the table. You must sit down, says love, and taste my meat. So I did sit and eat. So we're going to invite Bill 
and team back and we're going to we're going to sit and we're eat and we're going to ferret out the unforgiven stuff that's in all of us.